Welcome to the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm your host Toby Morris. Today I have a, uh, a good friend of mine. You may know him from the bands like Buried Alive, Despair, World Be Free, Slugfest, and Terror. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Mr. Scott Vogel. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me over. Thanks for being here. Um, so my whole point of this podcast is to talk to my friends who have inspired me in certain ways, people that are part of my life, part of the scene, people that I met in New York, people that I met at a young age, people that are still making music, doing music. So before we get into where you're at today, I'm going to get back a little bit to Buffalo, New York, where you're from. Okay. Um, how was it growing up in Buffalo before you got into music, and how were you in school? Did you like school? <laughs> Not good in school. <laughs> um, never was good in school. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's because I'm not smart or, yeah. you know, I'm average smart, but... Uh, you just didn't care. I did not care. I cared about playing sports up mm. until I found weed. Then I cared <laughs> about smoking weed and then uh, still playing sports and weed. Mm-hmm. And then I found hardcore and I did not care about sports anymore. Or weed. Still, no, I still care okay. about weed. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what were you... So, you graduated, obviously. Um, what were the sports you played? Uh, w- when I was young, pretty much everything, um, like organized-wise, uh, soccer, football, baseball, basketball. Damn, I never man. played ice hockey. Uh, like, That's strange, because I'm sure they had it there. Yeah, I, I wish I could have. I look at playing hockey, and it looks really cool. It's one of my favorite sports to watch. But yeah. uh, uh, And then... When I wasn't doing that, just all the people I knew in the neighborhood, all the kids in the neighborhood, we just played sports constantly. That's all I did. Yeah. Play sports, play sports, play sports. Get get into some trouble. Play sports, play <laughs> sports. Get into some trouble. And so, then, uh, <laughs> you got brothers and sisters, right? Or brother. Yeah, I have two sisters oh, that shit. I grew up with. Um, my mom and my two sisters. Um, to make kind of a long story short, uh, my father remarried and... And the woman that he remarried had a stepson. Uh, His name's Jay, and he's the person that got me into anything underground across the board, from hip-hop to hardcore to bands. So uh, I would stay with my father. You know, me and my sisters would go stay with my father. That's when I got to know my brother well. Yeah. Age. uh, So this is all in Buffalo. Yeah. Um, And I grew up, like, way Buffalo is a small city in the first place, but kind of a shitty city. Mm-hmm. But I grew up way out, like in the woods. Okay. Uh, eventually, in se- sixth or seventh, seventh grade, we'll say. Yeah. My mom uh, told me that she was moving to Texas oh, shit. and wanted to take me and my sisters. I said, I'm not going, kind of out of spite. Mm-hmm. So I moved in with my father. That's when I moved into Buffalo. With my father, stepmother, and my brother, he was really in. Do you want to take this into the the music realm yet, or you want to? Yeah, well, well, so school you did good, you did sports, you graduated, um, and you got into music in school, correct? You got exposure to hardcore while you were young in school. Yeah, when I moved in, uh, my brother, I can remember um, my brother, and it's funny because my brother is four months younger than me. Oh, shit. So my brother was into. I first picked up on like Houdini, Run DMC, and and rapper hip hop. Um, <laughs> rapper. <laughs> so I, I I hate using the word rap, but yeah. Uh, so let's say hip hop. Yeah. So um, 
kind of got into that stuff. But then when I moved in with him, he was on to like Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, mm-hmm. Circle Jerks, Sex Pistols, Big The time. punk rock shit. Yeah, and like I was, uh, at that time I was really into like Motley Crue, Rat, Sick, Poison, that shit. Which he was too. But yeah. He, he was finding uh, underground stuff or, or punk stuff. So. Just at record stores and stuff back then? That's how he found out about it? Was he going? He wasn't going to shows in the city, was he, or anything? Or, um, no. Yeah, he. I think he was too young, and my memory's so bad. But it's 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 funny because I was on uh, Damien from Fucked Up's podcast a while yeah. ago. This is like two years ago. Yeah, shout out to Damien. And I was se- I was telling a similar story to this, and I I don't know. It just came into my head like I I never knew how my brother got into punk. Okay, which is something maybe I should know. Yeah. Since I spawned off of it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I did a zine kind of recently with Patrick Kitzel and mm-hmm. Andrew from Strife, and it's in there if anyone wants to see it. He, okay. he wrote a whole thing because I wanted to know how he got into punk. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, so your brother wrote some stuff in there. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, so I moved in with him, and he was into all that stuff, and I was kind of like, Caught somewhere in between, and we would go to a lot of like local punk shows, mm-hmm. or even like almost like weird garage rock shows, or whatever was going on that was like you could find a flyer for. Yeah, and uh, I didn't fully. I I still don't. I I don't really love punk that much. Yeah. Um. And I'll you know, I, I, there's a few punk records that really stuck with me, which is connected with you. Mommy's Little Monster is one of them. That's one Great, of them. If, yeah. if we have to talk punk, which yeah. hopefully we'll get off soon. <laughs> um, but there, there's a few records that I'm into. <laughs> the connect with you, yeah. Yeah, and Mommy's Little Monster was one of them. And uh, one day my father, Night Flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no state of mind, right? W- yeah, which was really cool because living out in the middle of Nowhere Buffalo yeah. had no idea what Night Flight was. But then when I moved in with my father, he had cable, which was insane. Totally. And uh, one day, he, I think me and my brother came home from somewhere, and he had filmed Another State of Mind because he knew we like social distortion. Oh, that's cool. We watch Another State of Mind, and I was obsessed with the Georgetown. I don't know if Georgetown plays into it that Minor Threat was mm-hmm. in Georgetown. Yeah, also, the haagen part. Yeah. Also, Minor Threat. Shaved heads looked, a, you know, they're not like the definition of like a jock looking band, like, exactly. like youth crew, but yeah, they looked a little more uh clean cut, yeah, and shaved heads. And it will just, I just think that whole anarchy punk, I'm so crazy, I'm a freak thing. I, I mean, I'm generalizing and so I'm not trying to offend, no, anyone, I know, but that that never resonated with me. But something about Minor Threat and seeing them on stage and practicing in their basement and all that Sick. shit in another state of mind, that really, it hit me. Mm-hmm. I think I probably went out, let's say the next day for the sake of dramaticness, <laughs> went out to the record store, found uh, the, the Minor Threat record, the blue one with Ian yeah. on the cover, whoever it is, his brother or whatever. Alec, yeah. Um, bought that. And then I, I, I remember a, a kid... Gave me this is probably the defining moment in my life. Gave me a cassette that was "Don't Forget the Struggle" and "Victim in Pain," and said, "Oh, you like Minor Threat? I think you really like this." And was dubbed, and that was really it. And I I can remember going to Home of the Hits in Buffalo. I don't know if you yeah yeah remember this spot yeah Buffalo. And then one day I bought uh, the 
chain of strength seven inch, the no front answer seven inch, the sick of it all seven inch, and the side by side seven inch. Which BJ took all the photos in the back of every one of those. <laughs> and that was it. That, yeah. Like, then I didn't care about sports. Uh, oh, shit. Me and my brother were already playing in, like, weird, punkish, I don't know what you would call them, punk. But yeah. Uh, that's uh, a- everything I've done since then has just revolved around hardcore. Like, yeah. Every job I got, I would make sure I could get off, like, if, if I couldn't get off on the weekends or. If I couldn't go to a show, fuck the job. The job I was quitting or Damn. not showing up, and uh, and it was great. Dedicated to, Buffalo was amazing. I, I saw so many amazing shows, and I mean, there's some bands I didn't see, but everyone came to Buffalo. It was a venue they're called. I remember the River Rock Cafe. Yeah, River Rock. It yeah. was a River Rock for a long time, and uh, then other things. Want to hear my story about? When I yes. first remember seeing H2O in Syracuse. Sure. Let's see. I, I'm sure I've told you this before. When I won the free shirt from you. No, tell me the story. Okay, so <laughs> eight, I think the first time I saw H2O, you played in Buffalo, I want to say with Civ. Yeah. And I forgot it was on that. It was just three bands, and it was a place right by the airport, a bigger place. It was mm-hmm. called maybe Blind Melons or something. Yeah, kind of like Kind of like a club. Yeah. Not a dirty shithole. Maybe it was Sick of It All, too. <laughs> I yeah, it was Sick of It All, Civ, H2O. It might have been. That make, yeah. makes sense. So uh, I'm I'm not sure if this was before or after that, but I think it was before that. The first time I saw you was in Syracuse, maybe. And you got and this is bizarre because I've never been straight edge, and I'm pretty sure I'll never be straight edge. I might be straight, <laughs> you know. I've been straight. I thought you were straight edge for a second. No, no, you vegetarian though. I was vegan for 12 years. Oh shit! I did. Uh, I've had lots of lots of. Uh, <laughs> Parts of my life where I yeah. didn't drink, but uh, straight edge, no. Okay, but uh, so we're talking the straight edge capital of the world at the time, Syracuse. Damn, and more than Connecticut, huh? Shit, I would say so. Okay, well, I'm from Buffalo, so maybe I saw it a lot more. Mm-hmm. But uh, you were on stage and you s- said something to the crowd like, "Where did the X come from? Whoever can tell me first can have a free shirt," and I won the free shirt, which to me was bizarre because I probably had smoked weed and I was surrounded by <laughs> 500 straight-edge kids. And somehow oh, I, I, you uh, got the shirt. I won the shirt. That's and awesome. It, it was the white shirt with just the logo. Yeah. Street 84 or something on the back. <laughs> that was like 90. Yes, I think that was. On the maybe back. 95 or something. So so let's get to moving forward. So you're out of school. You're into this crazy music. Um, <laughs> were you skateboarding too back then? Were you a skater? I tried and I sucked and I... That was it. It's one tribes. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I had a couple boards, and I, I thought it was cool, but I, I couldn't do it. Okay. So did you know what you wanted to do with your, your life at that point when you were just graduating to smoking weed and working random jobs and playing in some local bands? Did you have a passion to start a... Like, what was, your, what, what was that kicker that made you want this, to start your first band? This is going to sound so fucked up, but I, I never had a, any desire to do anything uh, besides stay live my own life and not work i I don't want to say i didn't want to work because i'm i'm very uh, productive and i get shit done all the time but i never had uh the desire to go to college to do this i never had the desire i never had the thoughts in my head like what am i going to do about money Mm -hmm. i never had i never had these thoughts it was just uh i played in these bands in buffalo that were like mildly not not uh uh 
profitable, if that's a if yeah. that's a band word. Yeah. I would just play these bands and, and go on these weekend road trips or these tiny little tours. Yeah, tri-state. Try to break even and then just work these bullshit jobs. Like I drove a taxi. I telemarketed. <laughs> I telemarketed I, too. Uh, I uh, I mean, before I lived on my own, you know, I, when as soon as I hit sixteen, I had to work. Like yeah, like uh, you know, I dishwashed. I did that too. Yeah, all sorts of bullshit. But when I got uh. I was told to leave my parents' house when I was 18. So when I was, I was on my own, at 17. I so. would just work whatever job I could get and play in these bands and go to shows and have enough money to... And rent in Buffalo when you... Back then. Yeah, it was like... I'd have like a, a pretty decent apartment, three bedrooms with two other dudes, and it, my rent would be like 250 a month. It's it crazy, man. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> So what what was the first, what band came first? For first you? band I ever did was Slugfest, yeah. which was with my brother, and uh, it was really cool because uh, <laughs> when we started the band, um, we used to go to the River Rock the club in Buffalo so much, me and my brother, and yeah, I don't remember the exact conversation, but we we uh, the, the, he wasn't the owner, he's the owner's son, but pretty much the guy in charge of the venue, yeah. I don't remember exactly how it came up, but we started the band with him. So we'd practice at the, the venue. Club. Oh, shit. And he got us our first show with Judge because he booked the show. So Damn. our first show was with Judge. And What uh, year would that be? 89? That was 89. 80, yeah. And, and he was like an adult, and we were like kids. <laughs> and the band. <laughs> yeah. So it would, the slug, if, if anyone knows or looks back and could find some the early Slugfest pictures, it, it's a pretty bizarre lineup. But you know, that's kind of how things were then. You'd always have some weird long-haired dude or yeah. just get some dude in the band because he was cool and could play, but yeah. didn't really know hardcore, but knew Metallica and Slayer. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was the early, that was the start of Slugfest. And yeah. then, then it kind of pivoted where we got Tim, um, who went on to be in Snapcase. Oh, shit. So it was me, Tim, and my brother and some other guys. And... Uh, we were decent at that point. Um, he was playing locally or just doing tri-state stuff? And we're playing uh, Buffalo, Syracuse, Toronto, yeah. Detroit once, Albany once, so Erie, Pennsylvania often, Rochester, just places like that. Um, <laughs> at the time, th- this a- a frustrated me and made me a negative person, but Tim... Tim got asked to play in Snapcase when mm. just when we were getting good and we recorded a seven inch and it actually came out really good, way Damn. better than we were. Uh, the singer Chokehold put it out and people were actually interested in the band and and all of a sudden one day John Salemi from Snapcase called me and because we were all like you know I was obviously good friends with Tim and Salemi was the closest person in Snapcase to me. Yes. And uh, Salemi was like, yeah, things are working out really good with Tim. And I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, oh, he's in Snapcase now. And, you know, <sighs> I have a little bit of a temper. I probably, my head probably exploded right there. I don't remember what happened. But <laughs> for a few years, I was very anti-Snapcase. Mm. And... Um, was that when they made their first demo, I think, probably then, right? They... Had a demo. No, they had already done the 7-inch on Victory. Okay. And they had a, a their original drummer, Mike, Kamade and I guess he uh, one way or another he left the band and I you know at the time I felt ultra betrayed um, now I can look back Tim was straight edge a smart 
scholastic kid with a lot of goals. He was he, really smart. He was in a band with a bunch of fuck ups mm-hmm. and got. I mean, in Buffalo, that's. I mean, zero tolerance is like the holy grail of yeah. Buffalo bands. But they were maybe out, and they were a little bit different then. But for Tim, that was like an ideal situation. Yeah. So he got the call and quit the band. I wish it was done a little bit differently, but I, I yeah. don't really want to. Who cares now? <laughs> um, so Tim left the band. That was the end of Slugfest. And what year was that? That was 90? That was uh, probably started in 90, probably ended in 92, 92, 91, 89. I don't know. And then was Despair next or Buried Alive? Despair was next real quick, like right after that. Um, Despair was kind of cool because th- there was like the wave of bands around S- Slugfest, like all the bands we would play with. Yeah. That, you know, eventually these bands don't last very long. Mm-hmm. And then regrouped with a lot of people that were in early bands and, and Despair started, which was with Joe Garlip, if you do you know, I know that, Yeah, I know Joe, yeah. He was in the band. Um, was he in, isn't he in that World Be Free too? Yeah. Okay. He was in the band. Who else was in? Lots of people were in Despair. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was kind of more the same. Um, yeah. We played maybe a little bit more. We actually came to the... Uh, we did a, a full U.S. tour with Hatebreed. Oh, so sick. Hatebreed on their demo, maybe the first time they... Uh, I think Hatebreed came out here with Voorhees once first. Okay. So maybe the second time Hatebreed ever came out here, me and Jamie booked a whole U.S. tour. Sick. That was the first time I ever toured the country. That was the first time I ever went to Europe. I think Despair went to Europe twice. Oh, wow. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was cool. It was what it was. How many it's, years was that for? Uh, Spare. Still maybe three years. Okay. And I, I would put that as my least favorite band I was in. Not not uh, personnel-wise, but yeah. if I listen to the bands, the Slugfest 7-inch is pretty good. The Buried Alive record is, I would say, really good. I have the utmost respect for Terror. Will Be Free is cool. Despair, <laughs> it's just a little stale to me. And there's probably okay. some people that really like the band. Yeah. But... I know your friend Tall really likes yeah, Despair, but um, uh, for me, it's my it's my least favorite. So then, Buried Alive comes, and that, that's like that's like a big one. That's like a big one for you. Um, so Despair breaks up. Yeah. Uh, I I think uh, Despair breaks up. My girlfriend at the time breaks up with me, and I can't, I, I'm living alone, and I'm kind of uh, down drinking a lot. Okay, were well, you a big drinker before that, or just a weed smoker? I mean, even when I'm saying now I'm drinking a lot, it isn't like the drinking I have done after that. <laughs> it was it was like young young guy drinking a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Hmm. I think I'm just kind of bummed out on bands and just yeah. Uh, You're burnt, maybe. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, uh, how old am I at this point? This is like '97, so to twenty. Uh, I don't know. How, how much younger? Yet? Maybe twenty-four. Eighty-three, ninety-three. Yeah, so twenty-four, twenty-five. 24, yeah. I live by myself because I live with my girlfriend. She left. Uh, Whatever, just bomb. I think I'm kind of bummed out on bands because every time I try to get things going and things are okay, someone leaves or so. Because the one the one guy quit because his girlfriend, and then another it was like a chain reaction. Another guy quit, and then I was just like, "Fuck this." 
So uh, you've been to two bands so far, yeah. Buried Alive starts without me. It's uh, the four original members. No, I think it's the three: uh, the drummer, bass player, and guitarist Matt, Joe, and Jesse. And Jesse was also in despair and quit despair for his girlfriend. And okay. for me, that's like... The girls always ruin everything. You don't want to go back into a band with a dude that quit because of his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. That's like a kind of like... you don't, Especially like when you're like, your bands keep breaking up. Yeah. You don't want to keep making the same... My bass player mistakes. quit for his girl. Yeah. He's doing great now. So Buried Alive starts, and they're definitely playing a style that's not right up my alley. It's definitely more... Um, I mean, this term is way more distorted now, but back then it's kind of like a metalcore thing, like okay. Turmoil and like yeah. Converge, like these bands that are like definitely hardcore bands, hardcore kids totally. go play hardcore shows, but they're a little more metallic and they hit like weirder notes and yeah. like they're a little more technical, whereas mm-hmm. my, I never really listened to that stuff. But uh, So I was friends with all of them and I would go to their practices because that's what you did then. You wanted to see your friends practice. It <laughs> sounds like hell now. It does. You would never do that now. <laughs> but um, I'm going to sit in the room with you and watch you jam. I would sit there and be like, holy shit, there's something about this band. They're so good. And they'd ask me, like, you got to sing. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do a band. I don't want to do a band. And eventually they broke me. Damn. Joined the band. Um, Despair had... Uh, Despair on that Hatebreed tour. Tony Victory, which... At the time, that's a dream label for totally. any hardcore band. Totally. Tony Victory flew out to California. Uh, the L.A. show was in Riverside, the barn. Yeah. Signed Hatebreed and uh, like, a, I don't know if you called sign. It does. W- agreed to do a seven inch with Despair. So wow. we, were, we were really psyched. Maybe that bummed me out even more. Like the biggest hardcore label wanted to do a seven inch for us. And we yeah. just threw in. The- so when Buried Alive started, <laughs> I... I don't know, got in touch with Victory and said, I have this new band. Send me the demo. We put out the demo. He did he wanted the band right away. Awesome. Did a did a seven inch, did a record. Uh I I hadn't listened to Buried Alive in a good fifteen years and I we played some shows in the yeah. last couple of years, so I had to go listen to it. It's really pretty good. <laughs> so awesome. so um What was your reaction putting that out? Like people I mean Buried Alive was never big. I mean, we mm-hmm. would play so many shows with All Out War or Reach the Sky all over the yeah. place. If it was our own shows like that, you know, you know, we'd go to the, the Creepy Crawl in Seattle or St. Louis, and there'd yeah. be like 84 people there. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's all I was used to at the time. And, um, yeah. you know, Terra still plays for 83 people sometimes. <laughs> but... um <laughs> You know, but then we would play cool shows. We, you know, we did some tour. We got, we did a tour with Snapcase. Yeah. Uh, we did, you know, that was Snapcase, Kid Dynamite Saves the Day. So that That's was a, a sick big tour, deal. Yeah. We did a tour with VOD Scarhead, Candiria. Uh, you know, so we, it's we, good would, we would get cool shows. Tim Bohr booked us. And Shout out to Tim Bohr. Pike booked us, and uh, Pike and Bohr booked us when they worked together. So, you That's know, right. there was stuff, but. And people really liked the band, but um, you know it wasn't wasn't a big a big deal. Yeah, how many years was that for Barry Live? Uh, it was it was quick. It was maybe 
two, three at, three at the most. But back then, it seems like so much longer when you're in it. You look back, oh, two or three years is not much compared to how long our bands have been together now. Right. It's but crazy. two or three years, like, holy shit, this is a long time. It's like, crazy. Did, were you working jobs the whole time in between bands? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. it was it was always like, uh, I mean, I've been, I've been asked this before. I just never, ever cared about anything. I just would play in these bands, and that, <laughs> that was my focus, and going to shows and making zines and putting out records here and there and just doing all the stuff in hardcore, having bands sleep on my floor. Like, that's all I really cared about. And I knew I, I've never been a person that really needs too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't need to... You're a minimalist. I also am... A, Except uh, for your sneaker collection. Yeah, I've got a lot of shit that I've collected <laughs> over the years, but I don't need a nice car. I don't, I yeah. don't really need anything. So I just played in these bands, worked whatever job allowed me to play in these bands. And leave and come and go, yeah. Buried Alive breaks up very abruptly. Um, we did our last U.S. tour with uh, Death Threat. The day we got home, I just quit. And I, I guess it was kind of shitty to do to everyone, but I had preemptively done this. I was dating a girl from Chicago. Uh <laughs> she, she wanted to move. Uh, we wanted to be together. She was awesome. What up? Yeah, she's super cool. Yeah. Um, she just had a baby. Oh, wow. I, I follow her on Instagram. She just had a baby. Congratulations. So um, she was living in Chicago. I was living in Buffalo. She didn't want to move to Buffalo, which I don't blame her. She, uh, I didn't really want to move to Chicago. It's uh, fucking freezing there. So we just packed up a, a what do you call it? A U-Haul, U-Haul truck and came out. Uh, actually, we, we stayed with my friend. I had a good friend from Buffalo who had uh, bought a house in Arizona. Yeah. Kind of shitty stuff. I don't want to put out. He had kind of a shitty situation with a female where mm-hmm. they moved out there. Yeah. And she had left, but he had this brand new house. He, Sick. He, so I was telling him, yeah, me and my girlfriend are going to move to California. And we didn't really know exactly what the plan was. And he was like, why don't you just come here and stay with me? So we, we stayed with him and sh- we went to San Diego. And I, I think we checked out San Francisco, but maybe not. And then we decided to on uh, Southern California. Yeah. Um, should I just keep rambling about yeah, what, my what, music life? I want to say one. I want to say yeah. I want to say one thing though. It's interesting because you quit the band for a girl, and that's what the other guys had done to you in the past. I, I did definitely did not quit the band for the okay. girl. Um, they had uh, the band was changing so much. Okay. Uh, I think the 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 nail in the coffin was they told me to stop talking on stage that no one in the band cared about what I was saying except me. Mm, and, um, that's a bum out. Yeah. So uh that's good. I, I, I wouldn't if Buried Alive would have kept working hard or touring or being a band, uh I would have not moved for a girl. I love the um, talking on stage in between songs. Yeah, just... I mean so when that happened and they, they kicked out Scott do you know Scott Sprague? Maybe he was a guitarist and he got kicked out and it was a four piece and we had Jesse the, you know what? Yeah, Jesse the drummer. He uh, I don't remember, but he left the band. So it was the two original members that told me not to talk on stage. A new drummer, and it was just a totally different vibe. So that's uh, so weird. Giving you rules what to do as a frontman and vocalist. And I was going to uh, quit the band, but we had. Uh, Agreed to do it. Uh, we we set up a tour with Death Threat, and they canceled a European tour to do it. So I wasn't gonna like fuck yeah. over. So I did the last tour, knowing when I got home I was gonna. That quit. was it. okay. I got you. So uh, 
Yeah, I move out to Arizona. Here's one fun fact that people might not know. Yes. So I'm I'm in Arizona and I'm done. I'm fucking done with done with music. I'm done with bands. Uh, what do you want to do at that point? I have no fucking idea. But when when I was in Buffalo, I telemarketed and I got this job in Arizona telemarketing where it was like a home improvement shit. Yeah. And I was making, I was so good. I don't know how, but I was so good at it. I was making so <laughs> much money. It was crazy. And uh, I was living with my friend who had a brand new house and a pool and a grill Chilling. and a ping pong table. Um, probably two months. I-, I think I was probably in Arizona for six months figuring yeah. out what I was going to do. The whole time it was get to California. Um I got a call from the band Hundred Demons yes. from Connecticut, who mm-hmm. I really like. And they were like, yeah, I heard you, Buried Alive's done. Do you want to sing for Hundred Demons? And I was like, fuck. <laughs> I can't escape it. Yeah, and I was like, I can't come back now. I just left. I'm not coming back to the East yeah, Coast. Yeah, wow. So turn that down. But sometimes in my head, I'm like, well, that would have been kind of a crazy situation. Yeah. Um. So I'm in... Arizona, uh, never. I, I'm. I wasn't done with hardcore, but I did not yeah. want to be in a band. And I'm going to shows all the time. And this is kind of at a time. This is like ninety two thousand. Oh shit! Okay, uh, ninety nine two thousand. Okay, was in it went by fast. The nineties, damn. And hardcore was kind of going in a direction of like um, even the the more hardcore bands were like. American Nightmare, mm-hmm. who are a, definitely a little left of center and a little yeah. um, more artistic. Yeah. And then there's um, that whole stuff from here, like the whole throwdown, bleeding mm-hmm. through, yeah. that whole thing. So hardcore is kind of in a strange place. Yeah. Um, I come to uh, L.A. with my girlfriend to visit, a girlfriend at the time. Because I've got a beautiful girlfriend now. Yes. <laughs> who I was talking to last night that um, <laughs> you and I went on. I told her I took her on a date with you to the movies. And she's like, that's not a date. You picked me up and told me we're going to get the singer H2O to go to the movies. That wasn't a date. <laughs> that's awesome. So, so, um, <laughs> so you're, in, you're in California checking it out, L.A.? Yeah, we're. I know we took a a couple trips to check things out. Yeah, and um, oh shit, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta shout out my friend Errol from Germany. Okay, I told him to, I I FaceTimed with him about something, and I told him I was coming to do this, and I would mention him immediately, but I didn't. So <laughs> <laughs> I try to be a man of my word. So, anyways, come. In. What up, Errol? I uh, I stay at Dave Mandel's house. Okay. Uh, and Larry Ransom yeah, man. is living with Mandel, who's uh, from Buffalo. Uh, yeah. An actual great person. He's yeah, Larry's awesome, man. nice person. Skater, too. Old school skater. A lot of my friends aren't so nice. He's a photographer. Nice worked person. for Thrasher, too, I think, or something. Was yeah. Mike Falelli's personal cameraman. Wow. Yeah. He, I That's think awesome. he toured the world. Is it Falelli? Yeah, Falelli. Mike Falelli. Okay, he was his personal cameraman, sang for Envy, worked at Revelation. That's a cool life. Right. <laughs> now lives in Texas. Uh, so oh, I, shit. I think, yes, he at the time gave me... This This is weird. I never put this together. But again, g- gave me a cassette 
with two bands on each side. One was, and he was like, I think you're going to really like these. And I hadn't heard either of them. One was uh, the band Carry On, okay, which is Todd Jones, who we'll get to in a minute when we get to Terror. Um, Todd Jones's band, uh, I think they're from like up a little bit, the Oxnard area. Yeah. And Nick Jett, the drummer of Terror, was in the band at the end. He wasn't on this record. But they have a record called A Lifeless Plague. Anyone that's listening to this that likes stuff like Turning Point or even H2O, I think this is kind of an underrated record. It's an amazing... And they kind of have a little... I would say it's like Turning Point meets American Nightmare. Okay. And I'm not the biggest... Not Nothing against American Nightmare. I like the people a lot, but it's not like... I'm not trying to push in that direction, but... Carry On a Lifeless Plague. Check out that album. It's really, 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 really good hardcore. Metalist hardcore. So he gave me that, and on the other side was No Warning from oh, Toronto. Yeah. That's right. Who, uh, I, Jordan, I would say since Hatebreed started is the best hardcore band that came out, and uh, they're they're just amazing. And their their first seven inch, which is what he gave me, is just super amazing. Okay. So I get this tape, and I'm like. I feel like a kid. Like I'm like, holy shit! There's these two bands. I've never seen them. I don't know what they look like. Mm-hmm. I'm just like there's these two things I keep listening to, and they're really, really good. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm I'm done. I'm not playing in a band. <laughs> I'm just not playing in a band. I get a phone call from uh, John Lacroix. Okay, you know, you know him? Yeah, from Ten Yard Fight, who I don't know very well. I just know Ten Yard Fight. That yeah. I know that whole scene. The mm-hmm. um, you know, in the, my the, the, like revival, right? Yeah. Right. So I'm familiar with all those bands, and I kind of know the people on a hey, what's up basis. Yeah. But I was never tight with any of those people. I get a call from John Lacroix on my answering machine in Arizona. That's like answer machine. Yes, it's old school. <laughs> and it's like, hey, I started this new. I live in L.A. I started this new band. We want you to sing. It's me and two members of Carry On, and I'm like. Fuck. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> fuck. Uh, and he was like, Carry On just broke up. Oh, shit. And if this call came probably two months earlier, I would have been like, Carry On? Who's that? I have no fucking idea. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay. He's turned uh, down 100 names. Let, let me see. <laughs> I get in the car. I drive from Phoenix to LA by myself. I don't know the two members of Carry On at all. Damn. I know John LaCroix somewhat. Yeah. I get to Nick's garage in Granada Hills, you know, like 45 minutes from here. Yeah. Walk in the garage. I think in my head, I can't remember, but I think they're already playing. And my my first thought was like, please let this drummer be able to play a fast beat and hit his drums hard. Because if, if you can't play a fast beat, you can't be in a hardcore band. Yeah. So... I walk in, they're fucking jamming. In my mind, this could not be true, but they're fucking <laughs> jamming already, and they're just perfect. It's Todd and Nick. John LaCroix, uh, I think I drove to L.A. twice to practice with them, and LaCroix didn't show up either time, even though he started the band. Hmm. He never showed up, so he was never in the band. Okay. So uh, uh, um. Uh, Nick's killing the drums. Yeah, they're perfect. I don't know them. They're definitely younger than me. Yeah. I think we went out to eat and went to a strip club. So I was like, <laughs> all right, maybe I can vibe with these dudes. <laughs> and that, I hate strip clubs. I hate them. But 
at least I knew they weren't ultra uptight or any, yeah, you know, too 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 off my radar. Mm-hmm. But um, but you jammed with them twice in L.A. I That's think I said yeah, and I talked to my girl at the time. Hey, let's move to L.A. I'm going to do this band, and uh, I moved to I moved here. Things started pretty quick. We put out a demo and. I think it's been 18 years and about 6,500 tours <laughs> and 8 million shows. What year was that? That was all. Our first show was 2000, April 2002. So Shit. We're, we're at like almost 19 years, right? Yeah. No, no. 17 years. 17 years. Holy fuck. Damn. So like Slugfest, Despair, Buried Alive, and then Turned Down 100 Demons, and then it's crazy. It's like, it was like you couldn't escape it. It's like it had to be part of your life. As much as you didn't want to do it, it was calling you. You know what I mean? Like, I think pretty, you're right. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, who named the band Terror? Terror was uh, we caught wind that uh, uh, American Nightmare, Striking Distance, who is one of Nick's favorite hardcore bands, okay. and Death Threat, who's one of mine and Nick's. And probably Todd's favorite hardcore bands. So we caught wind that this package was coming out here on a tour. Oh. And um, I think Todd, Todd used to book shows in Oxnard and stuff. I think he hit up Pike and said, hey, who was booking it? And yeah. said, uh, I got this new band. Can we play these shows? And Pike's like, yeah, I can put you on. I think we played like three or four shows yeah. in California, Arizona or something. Um, yeah, I can put you on the shows. What's the name of the band? And we we're like. Oh shit! So we had like <laughs> we had like two days, and I remember I was sitting uh, watching TV, and I had a Sheer Terror like bootleg video VHS tape, and it just said Sheer Terror on the spine, and I think I just saw the word Terror. And I, was, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I I want I was almost gonna say I texted it, but I don't even know if I had the phone. Like, yeah. So I probably whatever happened, we all agreed on Terror, and that was that. Damn. So you remember your first shows with Terror and your first guys came out? Yeah, the first show we ever played. So we got those, that little... uh, uh, Demo? No, no, uh, American Nightmare Tour. Yeah. And I think we were really excited, but probably a little nervous. So we booked a a show uh, in Ventura at a warehouse, a floor show, with probably like 75 kids. That was our first show ever. Oh, wow. Um, we played with Nick's band, Piece by Piece, which he sings for. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who played. Do you have a lot of songs already? <laughs> I think we we did like the four four songs on our demo, <laughs> maybe two more songs and two breakdown covers, and that was that. <laughs> <laughs> um, were you a Sheer Terror fan too at that time? Absolutely. Yeah. So Terror Begins, and that's, man. So yeah, but what comes out first, like a 7-inch or an EP? We do a demo, demo, yeah, uh, that we were selling as on a, a burnt CD or whatever you call that. <laughs> yeah, CD demo. Uh, we do a, a two song seven inch on a a, a a friend of ours label, no, more so a friend of Todd and Nick's. This, yeah, this dude named Scott. He just put out release number one. Okay, on Takeover Records. It was a two song one sided seven inch. Uh, we put that out. Um, we were really, really torn between, and the the band had a lot of a lot of hype right away. Okay, um, pre internet hype too. Yeah, just I think it was East Coast, West Coast. We were playing something a little bit heavier in California. I, 
Yeah. I don't want to give us too much credit because there's bands like The Hoods and Powerhouse that played a little bit heavier in California. Totally. But I think down here, there hadn't been that, like, you know, our goal as Terror was to be kind of jock madball. Um, Respect. Right. So I think we brought kind of a little bit different thing to California and me being from the East Coast and from the bands I was in, yeah, Todd and Nick from being in Carry On. There was just a, like a hype around it. And like, not to sound like a egotistical dickhead, but we were like pretty good right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, you had a lot of practice with the other band, you know right, what I mean? Like, right. And t- Todd's an amazing songwriter. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Nick's a great drummer. Yeah. And I can scream a little bit. So <laughs> we were really torn between doing a, a signing, whatever that meant at the time, yeah. to Indecision or uh, Bridge Nine. And ultimately, we went with Bridge Nine because they were on the East Coast. Yeah. And we thought we could cover the West Coast ourselves. Yeah. And so we signed to Bridge Nine and did the first... Uh, it's an EP, but it's nine songs. And it's low, so low. And it's kind of a record, yeah. Like a full length nowadays, I guess. Yeah. So then, when that came out, like, did was it automatically great? Great. Res- yeah, people love it. People still love it. And yeah. it's it's a crazy record. It's so fast, and it's just, it's uh, just. It's your baby. It's your first yeah, one. You know what I mean? Crazy. Like, it's just crazy. And uh, right from there, we're getting like, uh, we got a tour with Blood for Blood. We got a you know and. Plus, you had the connections of being who you were and other bands you were in before right. and the relationships. At the same time, we're doing a tour with Blood for Blood. Then we go on tour with 18 Visions, which is a whole different world. Yeah. And then we got a tour with Hatebreed, and it just kept going and going. And, and, and what's good about you guys, you could... fucking you, stop, Toby. It's never <laughs> stopped. <laughs> good about Terry, you guys can do the metal tours and the heart. You can do both. You can fit in both, man. You guys put, you guys kill it in both, you know, like... And we've jumped all over the place. I mean, we've done tours with... We did a tour with that band, Chimera, which is borderline new metal, yeah. I guess. Um, we've, uh, we've we've played... You know how it goes. So I, so what was the last job you had before the band really kicked off and became like a career? I came out here and got a job. Todd got me a job with uh, this thing called Countrywide Home Loans. It's, it's like a okay. chain home loans place where I was like cold calling people. Like to the telemarketing shit. Something like that. Yeah. A little bit differently, but in that same realm. Yeah. And I think I did that for, it wasn't long. It was maybe less than a year. Then, then the band really took uh, off. Yeah, I think, t- I, I didn't know how long terror would last, but I know that me, Nick, and Todd talked like, let's just play as much as we can with whoever we can. Let's not like overthink things. Let's just go and play and tour and excuse me. It always just worked out. You yeah. Know, I, I think we did tours for the first couple of years where we'd just make $150 a night. But if you're really at, like go at it at the crowd, you're going to sell merch and make yeah. it to the next show. And then, yeah, I feel like you guys always give it like 120% every time I've seen you guys play, no matter how, what the crowd's like. Like, you could tell you love it and live it, and and the people know they connect to that. You know what I mean? I definitely have had times back backstage, whatever that may mean, maybe standing out in the parking <laughs> lot or whatever, just telling the band, like, I'm sorry, I'm phoning in tonight. I don't care. I don't care. But the minute we go on stage in the first note, it's just like, even if the show's not full or you're not feeling it just once it starts i just get get in the zone and ha- it's, it's, you have to go for it you have to it's crazy how it is because you can go look at the crowd and see uh, you're opening up for somebody different a little nerve-wracking and then you go out there and you just yeah once you're on the stage with your friends it's it's just it's hard to explain it's hard to 
just you know there there is nights where I'm way more into it or way more like locked in in the zone, but there's never a night where I'm up there like fuck this. Yeah, I, there, I might say that before, but is there a difference between the way you play if you're sober or not? I think there's probably a huge, huge difference. Um, I know you like you ritually take your shot and yeah. I mean, I think in a in a perfect world, I can uh, take a couple shots before <laughs> we play and have this like little gas in the tank where I'm just like have this extra pep in my step. Yeah. But if that happens uh nine times, there's gonna be that tenth time where I drink too much and I'm stumbling around mm-hmm. and acting stupid and yeah. Even if I get through the show where I uh am good, I'm you know, if we have a great show then after the show I'll drink too much and do something stupid. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I try I try my best to Do you um, get nervous if you don't? You get nervous before you play. You know what? I, it's it's a cycle. It's not a real thing though. It's it's yeah. in my fucking head. So yeah, um, it, it is there. It I can make arguments like that. It's cool to be backstage with the other bands and have some drinks and loosen up and kind of have a party mode and go up on stage. But I know the the bad results of it too. So it's just a. It's a fine line that you're gonna fall off of sometimes. When when you're yeah. like me, I do know lots of people that can just have a drink and have fun. Yeah, but I do know lots of people that are. <laughs> maybe it's better they stay away. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think the secret um, to you guys having such longevity? I know you guys are persistent. I, you're I, nonstop. I, I honestly think the 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 way terror has lasted so long is. That we never let the best days or the tours that go perfect go to our heads because mm. uh, you know this too. Your band has like peaks and valleys. Yeah, and man. Certain records, people turn their backs on you, or yes. certain waves come in hardcore that are the in thing, and and you you don't mesh with that. So there's yeah. there's all these ups and downs and. You take a tour that you didn't think was going to be so great, and it's the greatest thing, and you're on top of the world. And then you do a, or you open for a band, and you're playing for a thousand people a night, and yeah. then you have to go back and headline, and you're playing to three, two hundred, four hundred people a yeah, night. Yeah, that's true. And I just think that somehow, some way, the members of Terror are are okay with that. We don't let the 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 stuff go to our head and be like. We had our own dressing room all of last tour. Why don't we have it now? <laughs> yeah, why are totally. we playing in this little club? Why yeah. are, why aren't we on a bus? We were on a bus before. Mm-hmm. So I think the the being able to realize who we are, we've never been the biggest band, uh, and just be okay with that. You know, yeah. like you know how sometimes you're in Europe and you'll literally play to ten thousand people. On a Sunday night, the last day of a festival. It's so true, man. And the next day, you're in a club for 200 people. 100%. And for some people, I think that would like... Fuck them up. If they have an ego... Yeah. And they want to stick with that 10,000, it's just going to like drive them crazy. But I think we always love going back to the 200. I do, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah, we did it before. We played like a big festival. We go back to America, play in Detroit for like 200 people. Right. But you're used to that, especially America is so different. There's different 
parts of America that are still amazing, you know. But bands like you keep it alive. You, you guys just toured the whole U.S., right? You toured a lot. Yeah, I, I think uh, after I had surgery, it was kind of the worst thing that ever happened to me, but it was also kind of a blessing because we all had like a six-month break, which we've yeah. never had, and I think we all kind of said to each other like, okay, in, in order for us to stay a band and for me to be able to tour, we got to tour less and we got to tour shorter, and it's okay, it's okay to say no. Like We would never say, say no, no before. We would just... I would have this nonstop man, this ugly competitive nature. Like we have to do this. We have the band has to grow. We have to stay on the road. We have to, and it was never like money, 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 because you know we yeah. all live off the band. But it's like our goal isn't to get rich because that's yeah. not going to happen. And it was just like we have to take this. And now sometimes we'll get these offers, and it's like, no thanks. And it feels yeah. good, you know, to pick the things you want to do. And yeah. We also were taking a lot of tours, like I said, Camir and stuff outside the box, and we were trying to like push ourselves on these bigger tours. And now, like, that. like I, I don't want to do those things. I just, I just want to play cool shows, like hardcore shows. I mean, we're still not closed-minded. We'll do yeah. different things, but my goal is to play hardcore shows in clubs where we can have hardcore shows because that's what makes us happy. Yeah, and you're in a position to do that too now because you. You built this career with it, you know what I mean? You can go and do what you want to do, right? It's kind of You don't have nice. to worry about it. You don't have to go on tour for like six weeks. Oh, thank God. You know? We're, we're, we, have a, we have a tour in, in the summer coming up. To make a long story short, we're doing a one, two, seven weeks with one week in the middle. And yeah, it's, just, it's, e it's already eating away <laughs> at me. And ba back like years ago, that'd be like nothing. Yeah, that was just what we did. Now was you, was like, your back a, a total result of just being a frontman your whole life and jumping around, or was it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think uh, not. You know, just all the flying, all the in the van, all the sleeping wherever you sleep, all the shows, the touring, and just fucking myself up. Probably drinking a lot didn't help. Not stretching. Uh, yeah, and then when it started to happen, I didn't like really uh, see the warning signs that I wish I would have, and and like yeah. nipped it in the bud, if that's the right term. Yeah, it is. I just let it kept going and going until eventually. And you know, thinking back, I, I guess anyone that's gonna have surgery, I would say my surgery helped me in some ways, but hurt me more. I would just encourage everyone to try to do everything they can before they have some sort of spinal surgery because from the surgery, talking to so many other people, it just doesn't go well for a lot of people and there's a yeah. lot of other stuff you can do, so maybe try to avoid it. And la I mean, I, I too wasn't, I could have I, I could have kept going and done like um, stuff to try to, to solve it without getting my fucking neck sliced open. So I, I know there are some people that can't get out of bed and walk and maybe yeah. that's, you got to go for it. But I, I wish I would have taken more uh steps because the the surgeon made it sound so simple mm -hmm. like oh you're just gonna do this and you're gonna go on tour seven weeks later and you're gonna feel perfect wasn't like that the recovery wasn't like that no not at all the thing about hardcore and stuff is you, there's no retirement plan there's no medical insurance there's no 401k none of that so whatever you get hurt you gotta pay for it yourself and it's it's hard i uh luckily up until recently my the girl that I moved out here with 
when we broke up, she was really nice enough to keep me on her insurance. That's awesome. Because we, we were never married, but we were together long enough to have com- Legally married. common law. Common law, yeah. So she kept me on her insurance, which was really cool. And then when she eventually said, I can't do this anymore, uh, since I had insurance, I could keep it. So, That's awesome. So I still have insurance now. Damn. But it's, it's with my insurance and Covered cover California. It's still like $300 a month. It's really good, though. It's really good in, in comparison to the things, but it's fucking crazy. That, I know. That's like the hookup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were you ever, did you ever want to quit or ever, ever worried about a plan B? You get burnt sometimes, I know that, but. I mean, out of frustration, uh, there's been times I want to quit. Like, you know, when, yeah. when you're in a band with people and you're together that much, there's so just much. this unevitable arguments and, like, you start to, like, uh, I hate to say this, but it's true. You start to resent people for just who they are because <laughs> it just becomes annoying, their little quirks and yeah. their little things. And you just, it starts to eat away at you. And eventually... It's like married couples or people live together. Yeah, totally. Right. So there's been times where I've just been like, why the fuck am I doing this? Or touring so much and... Uh, uh, A lot of sacrifice. It's gone through my head, but I've never like sat the band down and been like, guys, I'm thinking about quitting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, none of you guys are parents, right? Nope. Yeah, so that's a good thing too. It's way different having kids and being married and... It's a way different world. I can imagine. It's uh so no so no plan B, no thinking about that. Nope. Me either. That's twenty five <laughs> years in this band. It's crazy. I'm doing my podcast, it's my plan C. But um I don't know. I just I love playing music and we and my band's best friends. You guys are best friends with your band. It's just fun to play music. You don't think about the end game, but it's like yeah, I, I really think slowing down was was a great. Yeah, thing. that's smart. It, it's really made it kind of like where sometimes I'm looking forward to. I hate yeah. flying. I hate it too, if man. You could just like snap your fingers and be there. That, but that flying, especially with LAX and stuff, you got a little easier here being closer. But yeah, that getting from Burbank to LAX and checking in and getting on the flight and fly. We go to Europe a couple times a year. That yeah. that thirteen hour flight. That whole brutal, thing man. is just. Terrible anxiety. Do you have like global injury and stuff like that, or pre Yeah, yeah. But, but even that, just sitting on a plane, it's just sitting there for that long, and it's draining, man. People around you are just. Ugh. And the stewardess used to be so nice. Flight attendants, where are you supposed to call them now? And they welcome you and smile. They look so miserable. <laughs> like nobody's friendly. It's like a bag war. Yeah, can man. I, can I get my book bag in the overhead? It's uh, once we're there. Once I'm there, I'm good. But just leaving, saying goodbye to my family, and going through security, all that shit. It's just so, just fucking get me. Once you're there, you're good. Like, but yeah, traveling is way different. People think it's easy, man. Especially now, if it's like, uh, we try to do everything like 17 days, which is three weekends and the w- two weeks in between. So if it's 17 days and you're like halfway through, that was like. Nine days or what? Eight days? Yeah. But if you're doing five weeks and Dude. you're like three weeks into it and you still have two weeks, it's fucking mentally, it's brutal. <laughs> it's fucking brutal on your body and your yeah. mind. I have a quote from Freddie. He said that um, if you ever want to take years off your life, go on tour in Europe for three weeks in a <laughs> van. <laughs> I did two months once. In a van? No, no. In a oh, bus, okay. yeah. With four Holy vans on a bus. Shit. <laughs> it's crazy, especially when you get older too, man. 
Like, God, it's it's sometimes though when I'm in a a good spot and I'm not drinking and I just get up and take a walk and you do walk a lot, right? I have to give it to you. Take play the show and then go in my bunk and have a show that I'm watching and watch yeah. some sort of series. It can be almost night. It can be very stressless. Yeah. But sometimes when I'm in that ugly place where I'm drinking every night and uh, feeling like shit and just being crazy, mm-hmm. it, can, it can seem long. It's all being independent. Also, you really don't have to grow up. When we're home, we have responsibilities. <laughs> we got mortgages. We got cars. We have kids. All that stuff. But when you're in the band, it just it definitely keeps you young. But going on tour is total fantasy. Like all you have to do, you have 23 hours to do whatever the fuck you want. Just be on stage. Right. It is. Uh, <laughs> it's it crazy. Does, it does lend you to have. Lots and lots of freedom. Yes. Some people take advantage of that in a very positive way, and some people take it in a very negative way. Yeah. But, I mean, there's something about doing what you love and not having a boss. And I've seen bands, too, that, like, just sit backstage 23, you know, not there the whole Mm -hmm. day. They get to the venue, and they just sit there on their laptop or their phone, and it's just like, dude, don't you? I, I know, like... When we drive in a van and we're in the van for eight hours, like I have to go for a walk yes. just to get like just to move and also get some fresh air and just try to get away from everybody because mm-hmm. it's just like you do. It's hard to get your own personal time. Yeah, very hard. And then you know, there's only so many times you could go to the same church, the same cathedral in Prague or somewhere. You know what right. I mean? See the sights. Right. But bringing my son, I get to bring show him stuff I've already seen before. But yeah, I mean, I know Rusty goes on coffee missions every morning. People have their each band member does their own thing. I know right. Nick, Nick jogs fucking every city and country. But yeah, you have to get your blood phone. You have to like, it's all mental shit too. You have to keep when you're out there. Yeah. It's hard, man. I think. Uh, Not I, that I don't love what I do, but I'm saying it's, it's a blessing and a curse too. Sometimes I think if you take anyone that thinks touring is easy, you put them in a van for literally five days and they see how much boring time there is how close proximity you are to everybody they're bound to get sick in those five days 100%. like if it's like you're you're no i think if you tour a lot your immune system gets used to it yeah a little bit i still probably get sick every other tour like um sometimes you, know, you can't think, avoid it yeah it's crazy so i think anyone that thinks it's all fun. Yeah. It just needs to do it for five So wh- what do you think is why we still do it and love doing it? Like, why do you think... Because I feel like a big kid. Obviously, I have responsibilities. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I got bills to pay and all that stuff like that. And just being respon- trying to be a responsible human. But I love... I, 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 we haven't played music in like five months. And I miss it so much. But then you're out there for like two weeks. Like, God, I can't wait to go home. So it's yeah. like... It's like to be there and looking looking forward to the tours I have this summer. 21 shows in Europe. I'm like, it's going to be great on the bus. Us and Battery bringing my son. Even when you're out there, you're just like... I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. You're going to Europe with battery. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's um, a cool tour. Um, you know what I mean? Like, man, what, what they keep... were fucking huge in Europe at one point. Were they? Yeah, when I first went to Europe in '95 with Despair, all those Lost and Found bands. Oh yeah, Ignite. They were fucking huge. Like to me, it was like a like a culture shock. I guess you you'd walk down like the city center in some little village. And you'd see a fucking Ignite shirt. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you wouldn't see that in Buffalo, yeah. you know, once in a group, but you'd know the person. I like that you loved all the youth crew bands, but you never straight edge. I think that's awesome. Oh, I fucking love. Bold. Oh, I love bold. Yeah, you loved all that. I still do. Just like Adam, too. Adam was like, said he was getting wasted in his room listening to Gorilla Biscuits <laughs> in, in London before he became, was in shelter, but... Um, 
You loved all that shit. I do. Absolutely. Do you have a top top five New York hardcore bands? We're, we're <laughs> talking hard. all New York or just youth crew? We could do youth crew. I would put GB and Youth of Today are up there. Bold's obviously up there. Uh, I love Side by Side. Uh, I like almost all that. I mean, I know Chain of Strength is not from... Uh, Good judge, New York, but they're amazing. Yeah, judge is amazing. All that shit's great. Yeah, what about just hardcore bands that aren't youth crew? I mean, you kind of have to put AF. Fuck yeah, one. number one for me, man. Uh, love AF. Dude. I, Madball, I love. Yeah. GB might slide into the top five. Yeah, man. Um, it's great so far. You have to have Warzone, maybe. Uh, Warzone could go right to number one. Underdog. Uh, Underdog would probably be top fifteen. Okay. Respect. Leeways, maybe top oh, yeah. five. Pure terror. It's hard to do a top five. It really is. I tried doing that recently. You it's so fucking, fucking hard. Crazy. You two might be able to relate to this more than me. Papas. Think about like, let's say 1987 to 1993. Yeah. New York City, all the hardcore. And hip hop that was going on then, it's fucking insane. Yeah. It's like literally insane. The best of everything, best of both worlds. And there's all those different little cliques of hardcore, like the youth crew and then the dirtier bands, it's and a the good... meaner bands, and the ABC No Rio bands. And then you have like Boot Camp Click and Gangstar Foundation and Digging in the Crates crew. It's fucking And Native insane. Tongues. Yeah, it's fucking insane. Yeah. And they're all amazing. Yeah, and they all sound a little bit different. It's yeah, there was such that that connection in New York of hip hop of public enemies. All the you were in, in New York, you had you were into hip hop and hardcore. That was a shit. Like that was we talked about the other day. Like what verse what? Crazy. You took pictures of Gangstar. That's sick. Wow, I saw on your resume. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, Gangstar was fuck man. Um, we could do a whole podcast on fucking just the hip hop back then, but just the way it connected and mesh. And then when when sick of it all had BDP KRS One on the record, that was pretty cool in '89. Super cool. But KRS One played that show um, at the marquee when Minus got stabbed. It was KRS One. Somebody brought it up the other day, and I was crazy that was. But it was KRS One and uh, fuck MC. Light. I don't know. It was with sick of it all at the marquee. That was a crazy combo. Nobody was really doing that back then. The hip hop and the hardcore. Mara- Marauder Master Killer is t- a perfect record. Uh, oh yeah, so much like that's that's what I'm saying. Marauders going on, and and I mean, obviously that's a little bit later. That's yeah, I think like '95. But there's Youth of Today and there's Sheer Terror. It's just it's crazy for me. And they all have such a cool energy, and all the front men sound different. Yes, and they all have lyrics that I still can remember every one of them to this day because yeah. they're saying something, but they're all coming from a different like. Breakdown compared to bold is a different world. Yeah. Same city, same scene. It's crazy. I feel like that's the difference between punk, like never mind the bullocks and fuck your parents and anarchy and fuck the government. I love my mom. I didn't hate my mom. <laughs> and I, I I could skate to that shit, but then I heard minor threat, like you said, they had a message I could connect with. I was twelve years old, I didn't try any drugs. Oh my god, this is what I am, a straight edge. And this is shit is hard. And then all the other shit's like, let's fix the world, let's change it, let's make things better. Like today and all these bands are trying to make shit. That's what I think the difference is between hardcore and punk. You know, like, I don't know. It's, do you agree I, with that? I like too, yeah. I love also, like, um, I think people think that I just listen to Madball constantly. Yeah, I was going to say, constantly. Yeah. But I love, uh, 
one. I mean, I don't know who came first, Split Lip from uh, Indiana. <laughs> Moon loves them. Split Lip, I love, or Quicksand, or love Far Quicksand. Side, or like all these bands that started. You love Hot Water Music too. Oh, that's my favorite band ever. Yeah. Um, and like. Uh, I'm trying to think of the earlier ones. I got the first Get Up Kids EP, and I love that. So I love all that shit. And I think that... Um, I don't know if it's a, a fact or something people talk about, but I think like if that's all emo or post-hardcore, that's all those are just like hardcore kids that went to shows and maybe could play their instruments a little bit better and yeah. had an appreciation for melody or maybe grew up a little bit. Yeah. But like you know, I like you would see Split Lip play with Snapcase, and you would see mm-hmm. Farside play with any one of my old stupid bands or whatever. Yeah, it was always like one and the same. But you don't really see that anymore. There's such a the diverse. But you see it in Europe, the festivals we get to, you know. That's true. But it's crazy that people think you're in a hardcore band. That like, like, but I'm speaking for myself because I know you. You are the most hardcore kid I know. That you're still a hardcore <laughs> kid. But I think we get off tour, then we listen to like the bands we just toured with, or listen to a demo in a car, drive my kid to school. No, I'm listening to the radio. My son's listening to hip hop or Coldplay or something like. You think you only listen to the type of music, but it's not true. I know you like other types of music. You gotta get away. You gotta get away from. It. I mean, I mean, Isaac turned me on to the Cranberries and Sundays. Freddie Mac is like the last thing I want to listen to at this point. Yeah, because you live it and you play it. Doesn't mean you're not any less of a hardcore person or I love hardcore, but. There's other types of music out there that's... I get super excited when someone tells me that there's a, a new hardcore band that yeah. I'm going to love. I'll go check it out right away yeah. and, and hope that it's something new to listen to. But I don't... I, and I do find myself sometimes going back to more classic stuff like we were talking about, like Breakdown or older stuff like that. You get the memories when you listen to it. Right, but uh, it's a lot of podcasts and a lot of stuff we were just talking like. I listen to Split Lip more than I listen to Madball. Now, I like Madball much more, Mm -hmm. and Madball plays much more of a role in my life. Yeah. But I don't need to have Freddie screaming at me all day. I'll take someone that can sing, you know? And you've seen Madball a ton of times. You play with them. You know them. It's like... Right. But shout out to Freddie Madball on the Hazen Street tour. He's like, yo, check this band out called Coldplay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I love them, too. Amazing band. Like, I would never, like, people would never say Freddie Madball is listening to Coldplay or Isaac's getting emo in the back of the H2O van and listening to the Sundays and the Cranberries. <laughs> so good. But people just, they look at you a certain way and expect that you live this certain way. But obviously, you still go to lots of shows. You fucking, you've been supporting the scene your whole life. I love that about you, that you always love and respected the hardcore scene, all the bands, you know, like. I think that hardcore has, all the touring has really made me very uh, a shut-in when I get home. Mm. Like, uh, I don't do much. I, I mean, I'm always busy. It's not like I sit in my room by myself. I'm, I'm always staying busy, but I do a lot of stuff by myself. Uh, I never go to a bar or a party or I never do stuff like that. The only, you know... I'd much rather go for a bike ride by myself, take a walk by myself, run some errands yeah. by myself, uh, um, stuff like that. But shows, I always... And it's not like I feel like I have to be there, yeah. but I just when I see a band's coming that I like or just a hardcore show in general, I always have, just have the opinion of like, if I expect people to support my band, I can't just sit home and not support other bands. I love that. And a lot of it, you know, at this point... We know so many people in bands. You want to be there for them when you when when they yeah, like the other night. Madball, we're all there. Me, you, Ignite, like t- all the bands came out for that show and hung out. That was awesome. That's cool. Um, do you ever want to have kids or be a dad? You know, I always thought 
that I would be a terrible dad. Um, I don't. But then uh, I got a dog. <laughs> and I practiced. I was so good to this dog, and I cared about this dog so much Uh-oh. that I think... I don't, I don't know. I thought you said the dog died. I was like, oh, shit. I, I don't... I don't know. Uh, Either way, it could happen. I don't know. think I should be on tour and having a yeah. kid at this point. Yeah, but it's hard to balance, man. I don't know when Tara's going to stop, and I don't. Yeah, I. We've talked about. I don't have. I don't think about a plan B, but I know there isn't a plan B. So, <laughs> um, as long as people still want Tara, they're going to get Tara. A couple bands that we love, and on this podcast, they said the exact same thing. <clears throat> and they got families too. There's no plan, but we're going to keep playing because we love to play and people still keep coming. And kids are growing up. Kids are bringing their children to your shows now. People are getting into your band still. It's like, if it ain't broke, you know what I mean? Don't fix it. I feel like that. I mean. Right. Especially like that. We could slow down and be a little more uh, picking where we're at. I know. Uh, I hope this isn't putting Nick's business out there, but I know Nick has expressed that over the next couple of years, he might like to have a kid. It's awesome. Or a child. Respect. Um, so that might come into the equation in the terror thing, but I think we're at a point now where we can accommodate that. And, yeah. Uh, you know. You're in a great position to do that. For like for me, I can go and do like two weeks and come back or bring Max in the summer. I plan all my summer tours around when he gets out of school to bring him on the tour. You it's can balance it all. It's crazy about thinking being here where... I would come here and Max would just run around in circles and like <laughs> yeah. punt, stop to punch me and keep going. And now I see him and he's like, I don't know if he's an adult, but he's he's a <laughs> he's, bo- he's a borderline adult. He's sixteen. It's crazy. I mean, he's so he's like almost as tall as you now. <laughs> it's crazy because like people think when you have a kid, you have to adapt to their life and your whole life changes. That's what I was talking with Tim Hendricks yesterday. But they adapt to your life. So Max has been on tour, been on Tattooed Freaks his whole life to the point where I thought <laughs> I thought for a second he thought that it was weird if he didn't have tattoos because all my uncles are tatted up. I'm like, Does he not want any? Oh, yeah, he wants them right now. He asked me again. Yeah, he wants kids who are hand-poking tattoos in the classroom. I'm like, you're not getting a hand-poked tattoo when you're 18 like I did. You can... <laughs> get what you want like you can pick any tattoo artist in the world but you want to get fucking hand poked that's cool <laughs> um what's cool but something about max you can do these ig um stories where they can say ask me a question are you gay right, right. i see that Ma- i've read a max are you gay what's your favorite band do you vape and max is like nah i'm straight edge sorry i blew you up max i saw that my heart melted because i never said you had to be straight edge he just knows that's i am but just seeing that on instagram was pretty cool i'm glad he doesn't vape yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the trade in the classrooms too they uh, smoke in school? Smoke in the bathrooms. They're vaping. They're fucking hand-poking. Kids are having sex <laughs> in the bathrooms. Well, smoking and hand-poking. And smoking and <laughs> hand-poking. Um, do you consider yourself optimistic or pessimistic? <sighs> That's... Depends on what day I catch you on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm... Uh... I think I'm naturally a little bit of a negative person. Yeah. But I try to uh dig myself out of it and why try do you th- to find why, the good. why do you think that is you're a negative person? Um I think the only real answer and I, I don't wanna like shit on my dad too much because he recently passed away, but Oh shit, he, rest he, in peace. He just had a a kind of um negative personality and just off a, on you. and I know for him it was passed down to him from his father so w- when you grow up in a house where there's kind of a lot of negativity it kind of seeps into your your cracks so yeah I think that's where it came from 
but I think I do have a, a good, um, I think I have a good heart and I think, uh, I try to look on the, the bright side of things when I can, but that there's always that temper and, and negativity in me. Yeah. <sighs> you think it might get, might get out of you someday when you, maybe as you grow? You know, I've, I've done some therapy in my life. I was going to ask you that. And I feel like if I really ever completely quit drinking and indulged my life into really trying to get rid of it, I could, but I really haven't gone that far. Yeah. I definitely need therapy too. Um, I definitely have daddy issues for sure. Um, but you also, for you, me looking at you is that you get to do what you love and travel the world and been doing it for so long. There's no reason why you shouldn't be stoked because you get to do what you love. But I didn't grow up in the household you grew up in or deal with the shit you dealt with. You know what I mean? Like, because we're very lucky to do what we do. Obviously, it's not always easy, but um, just thinking about people that work jobs that are fucking miserable. And I always think about that too. Like, sometimes I get, you get, when you're in it, you don't really think about it. When you're looking back at yourself, like, oh shit, the guy gets to do what he loves. And I don't know, but sometimes the way you grew up, and like you said, was instilled by the fact fo- that that stuff you can't shake sometimes, even through music and lyrics, because I'm sure that's therapeutic for you. Yeah, it is too. And um, I think. I think when you grow up in something like that, you're you're so used to it, and you're yeah. kind of, you're kind of uh, it becomes part of you that you know you. It's easy to say you don't want it, but it's part of you. So that that chaos is kind of yeah. what you're used to. So the thought of having this happy life where you're happy every mm-hmm. day is kind of like it's not unrealistic if you really work for it, but it feels almost like that's not who you are. Yeah, so you're faking it. Yeah, it's kind of sad to say that, but I, I feel like um, a lot of people. It's easy to say, like, "Oh, I'd like to be different," mm-hmm. but they're kind of scared to take that step. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah, actions speak louder for sure. Um, do you have any daily routines? Yeah, I got lots of daily routines. Um, <laughs> I've got a a notebook where I have a list every day of what I have to do. So I, um, that's awesome. I just, it's kind of obsessive where I OCD style. Yeah. My girlfriend like hates it. Like she says, I can't relax and I don't know how to just have time to myself. So I'll just have a list. Sounds familiar. (laughs) If if it's a really busy day, it'll have times like nine to nine 30, take a shower. Uh, no, even a shower is written on there. If it's a, if it's a busy day, like if I have to get everything done and I feel like such a like a failure if I don't get to cross everything off the or, list or run it or sweat every day or something yeah right and I'll have this <clears throat> I'll have this other list of like things I'm waiting on like these these aren't my I can't do anything about these I have to wait on these other people so mm. it's just these lists of <clears throat> get this done each day this done each day and then I have another side list that says soon and later on the front and back wow which eventually the soon things will move on to the daily list and the later things are waiting for me when I can get to them it's interesting. If I mean that's another reason why terror has survived. Like I'm so like. So you you run the sh- you like the business guy or handle it or? Well, it's a little crazy. Like I'm sure like we have a manager and a booking yeah. agent, and they would like me to throw these lists in the garbage and let them <laughs> let them do their fucking job. Yeah, it's hard when you, it's your baby and you're so hands on. It's your passion, right? And I, I you know I obsess about things and like bother them and sometimes overly push things and stuff like that. I've been there, dude. Which I'm trying to. I I, I heard from Stormy Shepherd. Yeah. I, I didn't hear from her, but I heard from someone that when H2O was really in the 
insanity that you are only allowed to call her four times a day 100%. or something. I just, like had her, I just had her on the podcast. She broke it all Did down. Did say that? Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what it is? Like, it's your, it's your passion. Because he hit me up the other day. It's fucking March. And Scott hits me up the other day. He's like, yo, I have this idea for this tour. And he told me the other day. It looked awesome. And he's like, January. I'm like, holy shit. Next year, it's fucking March. He's, that's so focused. I respect that. But when, when it's your passion and your baby and you're so hands-on, you feel like you can get something done faster than somebody else. Because most of the time, half the people you're on a tour with, you're already friends with. You can just get a tour through them, but you have to go through the booking agent. You know what I mean? Like, you know all the people. Right. You've been doing it for so long. You have all the connections. But it's hard to let go and let somebody do it because they'll never do it as fast as you want it done. And you know? I always think, too, the booking agent and manager have another handful of bands that they're focused on, which are bigger bands than Terror. Yeah. And this is terrible way of thinking, but I'm like, well, they're not thinking about terror. That's all. my 100% of my focus is on terror. So they're not thinking about it like me. I got to do it. I got to do it. I got to do it. But then it's like, why the fuck are you paying this person to do it when you're just doing it yourself? Like, It's true, it's man. It's a really uh, it's hard. disgusting disease going on in my brain. No, but I mean, I'm sure you guys have been through that. We've been through a bunch of booking agents like Stormy, Tim Bohr, <laughs> a bunch of people, Andy, Andy Summers, so many people... Because some people, like, they can't handle, like, I don't know, it would just, I forgot the word they used for us back in the day. About, it's called insanity. It's called insanity. <laughs> like, they're too hands-on, they're too, I don't know, it's, you can't let, we don't, micromanage, we just don't let, we don't let the manager do their job. We don't give them enough time or a chance to do their job. And then we're hounding them, all of us tag-teaming them with different emails. They were like, hey, just send us one email with all your questions on it from the <laughs> band. Because now, I mean, Adam do it. We run the shit, me and Adam. It's so easy to do that, man. It's like... The worst is like when you get offered directly from a festival or something, and then you have to forward over to your dude, and then he gets a cut when he didn't do anything. They got right. That's part of the fucking deal, though, man. It's like, it's hard, man. So, fuck, you've been doing it the whole time now, right? Pretty much. Yeah, I'm just crazy. I can't, I can't let it go. But and you won't till the day it's over. Probably not. And sometimes I threaten, <clears throat> like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna be like the other members of Terror. Don't. Ask me anything. Just tell me when to be there and uh, tell me when to be there. Tell me when the tour's over and just send me like whatever I made from the tour and don't ask me anything. Sometimes and you say that? I threaten it, but then the <laughs> next the, the next day I'm like, we got to do this, this, and this. And they're probably like, you're fucking crazy. Yeah. That's <laughs> my, my brother joined the band. He's like, because he had this other band out crowd. He's like, when I join a show, I don't want to do any business. Just tell me where to show up. And he did that. Like he was involved in the business. Like he just wanted to play music and be a musician. But it's hard, man. It's... It sounds amazing, but my, my brain can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about Will Be Free real quick because I love that record so much. I, I heard Sammy was begging you or begging your podcast to get us to play shows or something. Because yeah, it's, it's funny. Because we tried a couple of times, but... I actually hit him up. The, I don't know if it was the day he did the podcast with uh -huh. you. And... uh he had asked me a question, like he he sent me like I don't know like nine new songs, and he was like, "Let's do something with these. Let me tell tell me what you think." And I've just been avoiding it. And that day, I got a a message from someone in Europe that's booking a festival. Excuse me, that I thought would be a good fit for us to do because we've never gone to Europe. We've never done much. We've played probably yeah. eight shows. Um, and so I answered his email. And said we should play the show. And he was like, I was just 
with Toby, like <laughs> I don't know how he's saying, but pleading with him to get you to play shows or something. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I had the idea. You want me to break it down? Yeah, or? because uh, for me, you sound like E. Mackay, and I love the way you sang <laughs> there. I'd never heard you sing before, and I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I, n- I never have, and uh, every band I've been in is kind of like moshy, metallic, hardcore. That's yeah. all get to the get to the end so people can fucking mosh super hard <laughs> um, kill each other and i just had this uh you know like we said before i love a lot of melodic stuff yeah and i i just had this um <clears throat> idea in my head like i want to do something different and uh, i first thought of joe garlic because i know he can write like that yeah so i wrote him i was actually hiking by myself over uh in studio city and i just remember texting joe like Hey, I want to do this thing. Uh, in my head, it was just going to be a seven inch or something or a pro, whatever, a demo or whatever. Yeah. Write a song. The next day, he sent me two songs and they were perfect. Yeah. And uh, I think I told Andrew about it, Strife uh, Klein. He said, okay, I would like to do it too. Or I asked him or whatever. And I had this. I'm giving you the quick version because yeah. this, this was like a two year process. I had, the, <laughs> I had this thing like, if we could get Sammy, that would be really cool. So I think, and I didn't really know Sammy. I knew him like, hey, what's up? I jock all your bands. <laughs> Especially, we haven't talked about Rival School. We'll get to Holy that. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. So <laughs> um, I, I think Andrew asked him. He said yes, but he really focused the thing. He said, if I'm going to be a part of this, I don't want this just to be like, let's record some songs and put it out. I want to try to do this as best as we can, which is maybe what we needed to hear because we were taking it way too lackadaisical. Yeah. So long story short, we wrote a bunch of songs. Uh, in my head, it was going to be a little more GB than it was, but I don't think I I could sing that much. Um, they came out... Uh, for me, it was super exciting. I loved it. The music was, was very GB vibe. It was really it. cool, and it was really cool to do something different. Uh, we played a couple shows. It was just terrible timing. It happened like right when I got surgery. Like, That's right. We played a couple shows out here. We went and did a, a, a East Coast weekend with Judge or like four, four, yeah. four shows, and things were really cool. Um, and then I got surgery, and everything was fucked up. And then after the surgery... I was just like, I'm fucked up. I need to just play with terror. Like I, I've got to give my what I have physically to terror yeah. and not to world be free. And things kind of just slowed down to a halt, grinding halt. And uh, one day, they wrote this new song that it's so good. It's it's more of a I would put it inside out vibe to it more than a GB vibe. Yeah, it's super super good. And they've written some more songs. And uh, if you would have had me over here three, two weeks ago, I would have said, World Be Freeze. I would have said all the negative things because it is really hard to deal with. Everyone's really busy and yeah. everyone's very headstrong. And getting a t-shirt design approved is insane. I'm like sure, man. It's crazy. It's with a great the, name, though. I love the name, too. <laughs> Thank you. That's all Sammy. Yeah, it's a basketball player, yeah. Uh I would have said two weeks ago the band's super hard to deal with, and I, I would have sidestepped it. But as of today, I really think we're gonna go and record a, a like maybe a three song seven inch, Sick. and try to go to Europe. 
this is all speculation, but in a perfect world, we'd go over to Europe and play a festival in Germany. Uh, it's actually called Bringing It Down Festival. Oh, uh, sick. Down to Nothing played it last year. And hopefully, now this would be a lot of cards falling in the right place. It would be us and Judge for maybe five or six shows wow. in September. That's awesome. So if none of that ever happens, <laughs> that's definitely a possibility. But this yeah. is the most uh, we've been talking and the most I've been excited about it. It's awesome. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was a great project. I was very impressed, like I said, about your vocals and Thank the you. style of it. A lot of Ian McKay and vibes in there. and it's really hard with my schedule and then yeah. Sammy's in like 47 bands and yeah. then Andrew <laughs> and then Joe uh, tours with the who. So that's oh, like another shit. thing. It's like crazy. We could talk about Walter Shriver's real quick. How much of an amazing songwriter <sighs> genius he is. Yeah. Like everything he's done is just everything, man. Like, uh, I love everything he's done. He's a genius. Yeah. Pretty good looking guy. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty cool guy. Totally cool. Always been cool. I think he knows I'm a little obsessed with him. Um, That's okay. I, when I lived with him at the GB house, he was the first guy to ever play in the house on a record player. Was um, the Media's Murder album, like The Smiths, and then The Sugar Cubes. He brought that into the GB house in Queens. And he was always listening to different types of music. I always respected that, man. It was cool. I think that shows. And uh, he sang on the World Be Free record, which I was out of town, mm. and, and it was like... Yeah, he's coming into L.A. for one of his projects, and we're going to take him to the studio. And I was sitting there like, is this really going to happen? Is this really going to happen? <laughs> and then like, I think Andrew sent me a little video of him doing it. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is really happening. So that's like bucket list. Yeah, and working with off. Sammy, too, I'm sure it's bucket list. Yeah. he's. I, I had him the other day. He's had a huge um, list of bands he's played with. Man, it's, <laughs> insane. it's insane. Purcell, too, I had him, too. They got a lot of – and Craig, man. These guys have played in so many influential bands. Craig's up there. But it's almost, it brings me back to like how you guys, which changing members from Slugfest to Bury Live to Spare, all friends like interlocking, playing bands, and the guy went to Snapcase, and it's the same kind of thing in every scene, I guess, you know? Right. It's just you're not in New York when the best bands in the world were happening. The best hardcore bands ever were like, Phew. I know. And Quicksand came out too. That was just like a fucking game changer. Like man. to think Killing Time is basically. Yeah, right side. Basically, breakdown with just a different singer. It's the exact mm. same band from the demo, so it's like shit happens. Do you love like, Brightside? Fuck yeah, it's one of the greatest, man. I had Anthony on here too, talking about that record. He's just he's so humble, like he doesn't realize how much of an impact that on everybody. It's one of Hoya's favorite bands, and just like yeah, Madball loves killing. And the Thumb guitar sounds on that record was so different from what was happening at the time. I saw, uh, I think it was Sick of It All and Raw Deal play at that same club, the River Rock in Buffalo, and that's just like, Damn. you don't want to be one of those people that's like, hardcore sucks now, it's not the same, it's different, you don't want to be that old jaded guy, but it really isn't. It, I don't want to say it sucks now, because there's amazing bands and amazing shows and amazing scenes, hardcore does not suck now, but there's something special about that vibe. And we got to be part of it, man, we got to be... And everything, even from like, Seeing one day Raw Deal, and I'd see the next week Slapshot, who's a completely different band, but mm. there's just this dirty energy. I like, know. It's just so cool. I, I, the main thing I'm getting from doing all these interviews is that everybody came from not the perfect household, and that's why they ended up in hardcore and punk. They didn't come from the perfect family. Obviously, we loved our parents, but it was a single family, or you lost your dad or your mom. You know what I mean? It was a fucked up situation. I feel like that's how we all kind of connected and still are connected because of that all three of us sitting here because 
we're all here on the West Coast. And I'm just saying, like, we're all involved in some way. It's, it's an interesting. I don't think there's any other. I love hip-hop. I'm a hip-hop head. I have tons of hip-hop tattoos. But I'll never rap because I respect the culture. <laughs> I'll never try to rap because this is respect. But, like, I don't know. I just feel like there's no other music that, that, that inspired me and connected to me or any of us than hardcore and punk. It's, it's crazy. It's like a, it's a different thing for me. I can, I can listen to Gangstar and know every lyric in, in like, I, you know, I know that I'm from the suburbs of Buffalo and can't <laughs> completely relate to their lyrics, but I can still in my own way relate to it and appreciate what he's saying. And then I'll listen to Coldplay and I can get chills off of like yeah. the emotion in that. But if you put on Youth of Today, that's the only thing that could make me stand up and pick a fucking SUV over my car and throw it across the fucking the, <laughs> the world. Because there's just something about the energy of hardcore that when it when it connects with me, it's like different than anything. Yeah. Like even Slayer, like Slayer, I love and it's insane. But if I had to go fight Mike Tyson, I'd put on Youth of Today over Slayer because there's just something about that energy that yeah. that just makes me. Mike Tyson, I don't. I'm sure you're listening, and I don't <laughs> want to sure fight you're not you. Listening. I do not want to fight you. <laughs> <laughs> but I know what you're saying. You can hear these songs, and you're like, yeah, it's like listening to old Madball records. Just something you get the memories too of being at those shows, actually being in the pits for those shows, or knowing them when they shot the Down by Law video, or just different periods of your life, even knowing them and stuff. It's like it's crazy too because I have this terrible, terrible, terrible memory. Like my brother, you, you have a great memory. For all the drinking and stuff you talked about doing, you have a really good memory. I can remember every word to like the bold record. Damn. But my brother will be like, remember when we did this? And I'll be like, no. He'll be like, how can't you remember that? I'm like, I don't know. But every <laughs> lyrics, I've got them. They're just stored up here. Yeah, it stays with, stays with you forever, right? And it's just like, I just don't know if like metal kids, like I went to my metal shows back in the day because the metal shows, you were in a barricade looking at the band on the stage, but a hardcore show, like you were on stage with the band or talking to them after the show, not getting a selfie, shaking their hand, thank you for your lyrics. There's no phones back then. You're in the moment. It's just, it's super special, man. Like what we got to be a part of. Just imagine having cell phones back then, just everything. Or half our friends would be locked up in jail for life or just whatever, <laughs> just having our phones back to all the insanity at shows. Like now, the kids at the shows took Max and Travis Scott. Everybody has their phones up. Nobody's in the moment. Like, and what, hardcore shows don't have that. Is Travis Scott a uh, at a arena? Yes. Jesus. But he has a crowd do a wall of death. He doesn't call it that. <laughs> kids are moshing. Mac, I, I was with Max and I was standing there. I go, I go, why the? Why is there a mosh? But he goes, he goes, why? They, they mosh at your shows. What's the difference? And I couldn't say anything back to him. Kids are moshing for Travis Scott. Kids are riding the crowd. And he says, he says, open the crowd, open the crowd. Doesn't say wall of death. But I count of three. He has a whole crowd and they fucking run into each other, man. It's fucking crazy, dude. You should, uh, if you want some advice from me, you should try to get Vinny Paz from Jedi Mind Tricks. I love to. Because I love to. He, he I, I've uh, spent lots of time with him talking about hardcore, but I don't know if he's been you know, interviewed or documented yeah. talking about hardcore because he... He's a hip-hop head, too. He's a rapper, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a rapper. He knows that whole world. But he, like, he, he knows everything about hardcore. So I, I think it would really be interesting. I know he has a, a crossover fan base of hardcore kids. He's that, a Philly dude, right? Yeah, and he... I mean, we can talk about Turning Point. Uh, we can talk... Like, he knows everything about hardcore. It's really crazy. That's how me and him bonded. Like, getting, yeah. He's a drunk, so... <laughs> getting drunk and uh, talking It'll, about hardcore and hip hop, like yeah. for me, you know, I can talk to him about digging in the crates, mm -hmm. and then we can talk about bold and you know, yeah, it, it, it was like that too. 
I don't know him as well. Yeah. I think Vinny's like deeper, like in a, like I think, you know, I don't know if, uh, shit, I, I could totally be wrong, but yeah. I don't know if Ill Bill would know about Turning Point. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That weaker side of hardcore. Yeah, the different chapters but, of it. Yeah. It's crazy. Some of those bands that we really, I didn't really know about till later when they come back, like how big and important they were to people. Because there was so much stuff coming out so many times. And for me, I'm like a snob. I'm like, my youth crew is like Youth of Today and Gorilla Biscuits, whatever. My straight edge is Minor Threat. Right. And I got into Judge later on because they were, they were kind of too hard for me back then. I, I, I appreciate them later on, but like, Mabel was like the hardest shit I listened to back then and sick of it all, obviously. But Mabel had a harder edge. And there's only I, one Mabel. Mabel is just fuck. I think there's records like a Verbal Assault Trial and Best. Like Vision in the Blink of an Eye that yeah. people don't like. I, I don't know Underrated. many people that listen to these things, and they're like perfect melodic hardcore records. Yeah, Verbal like Assault was incredible, man. What an underrated band. You remember Verbal Assault, Trial? Just lyrically and guitar playing Pete Cramier, like on the guitars and just like... Pianos. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It was so good back then. So we got the best of everything, East Coast and now we're West. It's weird because you're in New York hardcore. You're a hardcore dude from New York, but you're in a hardcore band in L.A. It's interesting. Yeah. It makes me feel like I should have never... We got accepted the New York hardcore scene. We moved there. None of us are from New York, but they they opened up the arms and they brought us in there. We part of the New York scene, but I, we could have said we're like we're a Maryland hardcore band because yeah. we moved there from there. But we, you moved here, and it's like we always say a terror from L.A. But yeah. at this point, we have me. Jordan's actually Canadian from Toronto. Our bass player now is from Maine, and uh, Martin's L.A. And Nick was actually born in fucking. Tennessee or something, but I didn't know moved that. here when he was yeah, like he's a great one or two. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, top five hip hop. I was just thinking about how Vinny Paz and Ill Bill both have songs with Premier. Like, how That's cool sick. is that? That is cool. Um, Gangstars in your top top five hip hop. Yeah, I mean Nas. Yeah, me too. Gangstar. Yeah. <sighs> That's hard. The Woo or Biggie or? Nope. Wow, Mob Deep? No, Show and AG probably. Sick. It's old. Uh, mm, Black Mob, Moon? Mob Deep maybe. Yeah, I said Mob, yeah. Maybe something from, from Boot Camp Click. Like, yeah. I, I think. Buckshot Shorty? Oh, so good. Yeah, Black Moon was so sick. It was. And, and anyone listening to this that doesn't know, there's this. It's crazy. Like when I was in Buffalo... I always listened to hip hop, like like I said, even before hardcore. Yeah. So like when I was in like fifth grade, I was into like Houdini, UTFO, and stuff like that, and, and it, that never left me. But when I was in Buffalo, I'm sure there was like a small hip hop scene, but sure. I I never really knew it, and I there's never. I'm sorry if I'm wrong here, but there's never really been a, a rap group or rappers from Buffalo. But currently, there's these. The three guys from Buffalo, Westside Gun, Conway yeah. the Machine, and now Benny the Butcher. I heard about all of them. They're yeah. fucking amazing. So yeah, it, it's really Gun. good to have shit from Buffalo going on in the hip hop scene. Yeah. So and and they're incredible and they're like have their own movement and their own style and people really like it. So that's really cool. Yeah, I see I seen Pete Rock, DJ Premier, everybody posting Westside Gun. Yeah. Got the mask on and shit. It's got a total New York vibe to it. It's crazy. They're all great and like I, I heard West Side Gun first, and then uh, 
Conway came next, and I started gravitating more to Conway, and then they brought this guy, Benny the Butcher, in, and now I listen to him the most. So they, I don't want to say they're better than each other, but they're all so good that mm-hmm. they make you forget about the guy because you, you'd listen to one for six months and then the, another yeah. guy, so you'd forget about the next. It's just like it yeah. just keeps getting better and better. Was there any time where you listened to only hip hop and not hardcore? We always balanced it. It was it was hip hop and uh, glam hair metal, whatever oh, shit. you call that. Yeah, and then glam rock, then hardcore and hip hop. And I never, I never gave up on hardcore or got too yeah. too pissed off at it. Yeah. <laughs> But sometimes, like, who was saying it the other day? I was talking to somebody on the phone. I don't know, just just different people I've been talking to, just about like how hardcore. Like, the minute you try to do something maybe a little different, or the minute you know you weren't playing the five kids in the basement, some of the kids like fuck this band. You know what I mean? Like it's like as much as you're so dedicated to it and love it and have respect for it and rep it to the fullest on stage. Like there was times when people said H two O, all they do is talk. They play play four songs and Toby just shouts out people during the set. <laughs> Same with the original band that kicked you off for talking. But it's because you loved it, respected it so much. Um, I lost my point of view. But what was, that, what was my question? What did I say before that? About like that and hardcore and loving it and respecting it. Did I only it. listen to hip hop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... T- you, know, it, you, know that nobody, you know that nobody was going to talk shit about you in hip hop because you don't know anybody in that scene. Yeah, I, I love <laughs> that when I go to a, a hip hop show. Like... Yeah. Uh, when I moved out to LA, I was doing it a lot. Uh, I, I kind of stopped because I kind of just don't do anything anymore. Yeah. But I would go to these shows. So I would go to these shows like Living Legend shows yeah. and all this stuff, like underground hip hop stuff. And it was great because there's no guest list. I yeah. didn't know. There was no way I was going backstage. <laughs> there was no one knew who I was. So I could just go there like when I first got into hardcore. I love that. No, like I didn't know any of the members of the, the group. So I didn't have any like, Oh, this dude, uh, slept with my friend's girlfriend. So yeah. fuck him. Like there was no <laughs> drama. It was just all the music. Yeah, and go. I would just leave. You're a fan. That was great. I love that, man. I love that. I, I got to, um, meet a couple hip hop people. um, I wish I got to meet Guru. I never got to meet him. I saw him at a show once. Whenever you ever meet him, no. Yeah, I wish I got to meet him. Nas, Jay Z, that was nice. And then I got to see Mob Deep at the Palladium like two years ago, right before he passed. And I was walking out the back, just me, Moon, and Max, and Mob Deep was just standing there in the parking lot. Really? And I, I had seen Prodigy at the Beverly Center once. I was like, "Yo!" I showed him my Alleyway Dragon. He's like, "That's what's up." Sick of it all because that whole thing happened. <laughs> was sick of it all. But then I would say, "Hey, I show my dragon again." And said, "Much respect." I got a photo with them. And then like a couple weeks later, he died. It's crazy, man. Nuts. I saw, I was at a, one of those Rock the Bells things. Yeah. So this is a, gonna be. A, I just said there was no backstage, but I was actually <laughs> backstage with Van, Jedi Mind Tricks because that's the only friend I have in hip hop, like real friend. That's awesome. And uh, I saw uh, Havoc, Prodigy, and uh, Alchemist. Sick. They were all so short. They were, <laughs> they were so little, and I'm not even that tall. They were yeah. so little. I couldn't yeah. believe it. That's awesome. Because you see pictures of Mob Deep, and you're like, these guys will kill me. Yeah. Prodigy was yoked when he came out of jail, though. Yeah. He was so fucking big. Um, all right, here's my final question. We've been, we, we talked about a lot of things. That I think we covered a lot. Right, BJ? You're the co-host. And, <laughs> do you have any regrets in your life? Fuck yeah. <laughs> a, a million. A million. What's like a main one? <laughs> Too much drinking. Mm. Too much drinking. A lot of... Uh, it didn't affect your memory, I'll tell you that, man. I've just made a lot of, uh, you know, when, you, when you're drunk and you make bad choices, whether it's texting, uh, 
texting your girlfriend that she's not a good person, but you say it in a different way or uh, (laughs) just breaking things or being a dick to your band or just Mm. and uh, just just too much drinking. All that comes along with that, like for your health, for your brain, for your decision making. It's just uh, that's. That's the big one. Yeah, it's hard for you to stop. You try. I mean, you quit many times, man. I would. It would be safe to say if you made me make a list of five, two, three, four, and five would all be linked. This happened because too much drinking. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I would. I don't know, but maybe. Interesting. That, at, least, at least you're honest about it. Yeah. It's crazy because. Will you be sober tonight on the way back from the show? Of course. Cool. Awesome. I like um, hanging out with you when you're sober. It's nice. I oh. like when you drunk too. You're funny the other night. We had, we had fun together. The Mad show was awesome. Um, I think, too, it's it's really scary because alcohol is legal yeah. and it's everywhere. But, I mean, there are think harder drugs. But for the most part, alcohol is really, really dangerous. It makes people fucking crazy. It's it's right there everywhere. It's totally legal. Plus, when you're and on tour, you have it backstage. You, and- you pour... Uh, couple glasses of vodka down your throat you could be a dangerous dangerous person to yourself and everyone around you mm-hmm. that's that's pretty scary Do you smoke the weeds i not so much yeah i i i've uh a lot of people have pushed cd cbd yeah that's me. the big thing now um yeah and i i've tried it a couple times um I used to be really more into weed than drinking, and two things happened. We got Frank, three guns in the band, who we'll see tonight. Yeah. And he loves to drink, and he kind of <laughs> made me more of a drinker than a weed smoker. And then yeah. I, I went through this weird anti-germ phase, which I'm still kind of, but really bad. And when you think about smoking weed, everyone, that's That's true. crazy. You cannot do that if you're a germaphobe. <laughs> it's crazy. Around. So, um, but... uh. I don't, Do you see a sober future for you? Yeah, I, I, I just, I don't want to put it out there where I'm always gonna be sober because I, it, I, it blows up in my face sometimes. But I, yeah. I think, uh, I don't. I'm way so far away from the the maybe ten years ago when I was drunk yeah. all the time. That was really bad. So yeah, I just try to take tours where I stay sober and. and uh, being the type of person where I said I don't go out anywhere, like I, yeah. there's no there's no part of me that wants to go to a bar and drink with my friends. I'm just not that type of person. So we had a moment in South America that really bummed me out. And it probably bummed you out too. We got into this face. You were drunk. You got my face. It was a crazy <laughs> incident in South America, and I never I never saw that side of you. I never want to see it again. But it was it was some dumb shit, and we, you were wasted, and that that was that sucked. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, and I've I've had that moment with lots of people that I love, and uh, yeah, that's just the that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, everything, lots of. I mean, I've done stupid things sober all the time. I do stupid things sober, but not to the point where you really regret it. Usually, when you're sober and you do something stupid, you can say, "Ah, that was kind of dumb," but I won't make that mistake again. Yeah. When you're drunk and you keep doing it over and over, you only have yourself to blame. So yeah, the thing about you too, you're always jogging. You're always like, 
super clean cut. You look good for your age. Try it's, him, it's, not Try effect, him. it's not affecting your, like, your, you know what I mean? Like, you look super young. Um, Even when you were drinking, you were jogging on tour and shit. I remember that. Yeah, I would always... Uh, <laughs> you always been around. I always force myself to like, all right, if you're going to be this piece of shit at night, you got to get up in the day and at least try to be kind of good. But, um, yeah, what... I just thought of something, too. If you weren't in a band anymore, not touring, you wouldn't have the alcohol in front of you every single night. So that could change drastically, too. That, it's because it's there. Yeah, that, that is one solution, but I don't think that's the solution. I should be... You have to quit my I band sh- and not drink. I, <laughs> yeah. I should be strong enough to just, you know... Yeah. And I, I've done, you know, whole tours where I don't drink. And, yeah. And my, I don't know if my band's... Uh, just wants me not to drink, but they're like, you're great. You don't need to fucking... I do, I do know when I... When I drink on stage, sometimes I have this... Uh, crazy energy and i just attack the crowd like not in a bad way but in a good way great but i don't say much and i think sometimes the important thing in hardcore is having a message and connecting with the crowd and letting the people know who you are 100 and why you're there and when i'm sober i feel way more comfortable to say something meaningful than slur my words and be a it's interesting that the people that were telling you not to speak on stage how many, however, however many years ago, and now you're doing, now you're speaking on stage for 17 years in that band, and explaining what the songs are about, and still, it's, I love when you do that, dude. I love you get the crowd hyped because the people just just go through motions on stage, song to song, and it's up there going through the motions. People feel that shit's like a fucking job and it's not real. But when you're connecting and talking to the crowd, that's what make people love and support your band, is because they know it's real and coming from your heart. Especially if you're even a little tipsy, because people say alcohol, you tell the truth. But some, <laughs> but some bands just go through the motion. It's like. You know, it's not. It's just. It's just a paycheck. Going through, but you, you live it and love it. And I always respect it about you. I always think you're a great front man. You live hardcore to the fullest. And if and if I didn't have a kid and a wife, I'd probably be going to shows more. And that's not an excuse why I don't. But you're out there and you're fucking always. And I always loved it about you, man. Thank you very much. Thanks you know for I mean? the kind words. It's true because I, I, I think you're not so shabby yourself. I, I loved. I, I think talking and explaining the songs, like not many people still do that. I think that's why. Uh, this is gonna sound shitty, but I don't really know too many Bane songs. But I'm a Bane super fan because Aaron is just what he says in between songs. I have to agree with that. Like ten out of ten. Amazing band, amazing humans. They fucking kill it. They're super sincere. I, I love what they did for hardcore. They're real cats. Hundred percent agree with that. But their uh, shining spot is him talking for, mm-hmm. for me. Like yeah. I always love that. And when he says something really inspirational and then they start a song and the whole you the whole crowd sings it, that's like the definition of hardcore. Like I agree. If if we're in a perfect world. Yeah. I love it back there. You have to tell you this next song. Stabbing in the back. But then they go into like this song. You're like, holy shit, now I know the song's about. Like Right. All that shit was just I love that man. That's so, why that VH1 storyteller thing that was really cool. Like when mm. you would see someone like a, I remember Ten Thousand Maniacs were on there. I love them. Who uh, I used to think I don't nothing against her now, but I used to be in love with Natalie Merchant. Like oh my god, look at her. <laughs> and uh, watching like these mainstream artists break their songs down. I love that. And let you, let you know that they're real songs, they're real people. And that's yeah. important because I'm sure there's a lot of mainstream stuff that's phoned in and just bullshit lyrics. But when you can see someone actually break it down, then you're getting the same effect of what hardcore should be. I think there should be a fucking YouTube show 
of all hardcore bands breaking down their lyrics like that. Yeah. That'd be fucking sick. Nobody's ever done that. It's crazy that people love hardcore and respect it, but unlike punk rock, which got really, really big, hardcore is still, whether people think it's like it got exposed to mainstream and people wearing flight jackets and shaved heads and Doc Martens and hip-hop, it's still something really special, man. You know what I mean? This, when you t- we try to tell a flight attendant, what's your band called, H2O? What kind of music you play? Oh, man. Like, we're not as hard as Metallica. We're not as poppy <laughs> as Green Day. You can't say hardcore. They'll think porno. You can't say hardcore to a grown adult on an airplane. Or just anybody. Try to explain the music you play to, like, real-life right. people in society. Because you could say it's punk rock. Oh, like the Offspring or Green Day. You know They know punk, but hardcore is something I just kind of go man. to the loud metal stuff. Yeah. My band's called Terror. Try to end the conversation. Do I remember, like, a flyer or something that... There was something happened somewhere, then your band was going, they were called Terror, but there was a terrorist attack in some place <laughs> or something yeah, like that. It's not the greatest band when you're at the airport or crossing a border or oh, yeah. you show up and there's terror stickers all over everything and sprayed on your guitar cases and shit. It's true, man. But there's <laughs> something, I mean, I know we both think don't think the hardcore is this big mainstream thing because it never, never happened. I mean... The only thing big was I saw Age of, I saw We Got a No Video on Headbangers Ball when I was a kid. I was like, holy shit, this is fucking some other shit. But yeah. do you feel like it's still a very underground subculture? I feel like almost hardcore smaller than it used to be. Yeah. Not, not exposure-wise, but uh, I feel like I feel like there's so many subdivisions of hardcore. Yeah. There's like so many. Totally. So, so few people go to show like... I mean, there's some sh- bands that can draw a, l- a lot of people, yeah. but for the most part, shows are like smaller. Like, I used to see like shows in Syracuse where there would be like 700 people there. So, I, yeah, it, it felt like 700 people, but yeah. now it seems like you know a good hardcore show is 300 people, mm-hmm. and know? it's still a great show, right? Yeah, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I I think it's. I think it's smaller. But when you go to Europe, it's like it's fucking night and day. Going to Europe or Europe's South America or world. Japan. It's just text me and tell that I'm still podcasting. And that like, and then you come back here, you play a small show, but I'm used to that now. There was a time where America, like we only wanted to tour in America and be big in America first. That was our goal. We kept flaking on Europe, canceling, but bands like you and sick of all these bands kept going and building and building. We build you and going there and you guys paved the way for bands like us, and then we finally went, and it was like, holy shit, we waited, so we went through, we didn't go through to, like, nothing to prove, we like, 2008, but, yeah, I mean, it's a grind, man, but it is... And you get treated a little bit better, like, uh, accommodations-wise. Yeah, accommod- and just respect and appreciation for you, because everything's oversaturated. Uh, I remember going to Japan for the first time, early 90s, was insane, but then after a while, so many American bands started coming there, and it got oversaturated, and then, like... But the kids go off more here. In a, mm. in, a, in a in my mind a cooler way so yeah in a crazier yeah, way gotta, too yeah you gotta balance it out it's a good point <laughs> um well thank you scott for being i think we covered a lot i think we covered a lot co-host bj Pappas. anything else we have to talk about we covered no thank you for having me um i hope people know more you know inside of your story and where you came from before your bands and your music and uh we all go through shit and there's a reason why we end up um playing this music and being tattooed and being outcast, <laughs> there's a reason, you know. I think it's crazy tonight. We're gonna go see Hatebreed and uh, Frank. I've known since uh, Frank I met. So we're talking about Frank Three Guns, who yeah. was um, from Cleveland, was in Terror for a bit, and now is in Hatebreed. I got the Ringworm demo. I think in 1980. 
1988 or 1989. Damn. And it didn't come with lyrics. And I wrote to the P.O. box or whatever on the demo, hey, can you send me lyrics? And he, I don't have them anymore, which is terrible. He hand wrote them? He hand wrote them. And that's, that's, you know, dude, I met him. So that this is like. That's uh, hardcore. 89, 99. So we're talking 30 years later, mm-hmm. going that's, to see his band he's in now. So that's, that's pretty amazing. My, my, I, I sent Ian Makai on my brother's demo of OutCrowd, sent it to him, and then he wrote me back a postcard and reviewed, reviewed my brother's band. Really? On a postcard, I still have it. Nice. That was a shit back then, writing people letters and pen pals. Like, I wrote Timmy Chunk's letters and then ended up moving to New York to live with him through pen yeah, pals. I met him in D.C. Like, it's so different, man. Oh, one more thing I want to say, too. Like, when you're on tour for so long, you go back to, like, normal life. It's a hard transition, do you think? Being, like, normal society? Like, you're six uh, weeks uh, in a bunk, and then uh, you go home, and you have to, like, fucking go to the post office or driving your car. Uh, and uh, This may be proof of what you're saying. I don't go anywhere without headphones in, like those Apple white little headphones. Yeah, AirPods. Even if I'm not listening to anything, I just have them on when I go to the post office or the supermarket because I just... Blocking out want, the world. I don't want anyone to... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's maybe interesting. It, maybe it's like Big Daddy when he puts the sunglasses on. He's yeah. invisible. Maybe yeah. to me, it just tells everyone to not that everyone's trying to talk to me but just like i'm here by myself i'm not trying to talk to anyone so but it's a weird reality and fantasy from tour to like reality and going back to your home and just driving your kid to school and like we flew back from europe last night to play this festival now i'm driving to school in the carpool and just right it's a normal dude in my car driving (laughs) my kid to school you know it's It's like nice to have a closet full of clothes and a shower that's actually warm every time and a bed and no shower shoes in your own shower. The other five members of Terror aren't around me every minute. Like it's yeah, it's really crazy. It's it's a crazy <laughs> um, it's a crazy thing with touring in real life. But uh, anyway, we talked a lot. That was awesome. Thank you, Scott Vogel, for being here. Thanks for what you've done. Thanks for what you continue to do. Thanks for being my friend. <laughs> um, thanks for being handsome. Um, You're so welcome. Thanks for being here, BJ Papas. All the shit you do in Hark, all the records you took pictures of. <laughs> I'm gonna get a book out for you soon. It's finally going to come out. Um, Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, Please rate, review, uh, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, please do that. And whatever platform you are listening to this on, I'm glad you found me. You can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the next one.